Welcome to the Product Podcast by Product School. Here's a preview of today's talk. Your first product might not actually require any engineering. For me, it was just like random things that got thrown together, but had a, like taught me the joy of creation and really connected me with like the impact you can make when you're actually creating something and pushing it into the world, even if it fails. Um, and you know. When I was interviewing for Apple, I think my barrel company came up almost as much as my consulting experience because it was on my resume and it was interesting. So like failure and things that are failing can also kind of be features in your broader portfolio if you position them correctly. Um, and I think find ways to add value to your company's product development, even if you aren't a product manager. For me, that was like the only way that I was able to, to kind of get into it was because there was more work than people and I was helping to support the broader mission of my product because I really cared about it. Um, and people saw that and were willing to vouch for me. Um, and then just build a network that's willing to go to bat for you. Um, it's really good to connect with people. I hope I can connect with some of you and I hope we all can connect with each other. But the best type of connection is doing really good work for people who uh, can eventually help you later in their career and really building that rapport day after day. In this podcast, we teach our listeners valuable lessons about product management and transform them into thinking like a product manager. We teach product management, coding, data analytics, and blockchain in 14 campuses worldwide, including San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. You can find more information at productschool.com. Join our Slack community of 25,000 professionals to network and stay tuned for our upcoming events. Yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit tonight about my experience breaking into product, um, and I think hopefully through that you'll find some encouragement for your respective journey be it to product or whatever else that you're hoping to achieve in your career. Um, just a bit of background about me. This is my driver profile for Uber on the left. I actually do drive for Uber. I'm pretty proud of my five-star rating. It's actually keeping me from driving much more because I like that it's perfect. Uh, I was a 2012 graduate on an East Coast college called Wake Forest University. I majored in economics and English. I'm non-technical, um, as they say out here. Uh, my interests include photography, running, podcasts, cooking, parenting. I have a, a young child at home, a young daughter. Um, my wife and I do, and it's, uh, it's been really fun. And I'm a product manager for Uber's driver platform. Do you have a podcast? I don't. I would love to at some point. No podcast. I listen to a lot, though. I commute up to the city. While kind of getting ahead, you'll see uh, I have a lot of time to listen to podcasts. Um, so you might be asking kind of what is driver platform. I think if you work in tech, platforms and products are kind of loaded terms. Um, the way that we think about driver platform at Uber is kind of supporting the core reliability, performance, and usability of the driver app. Um, so kind of looking at these kind of individual nodes here, those would be program teams, we would call them, um, that own different parts of the experience uh, that relate to, to driving. Um, we sort of work with them and kind of under them or over them, depending on how you think about it, um, to ensure that the driver app works for everyone, everywhere, every time. Um, and kind of a simplification of that would be that these individual teams sort of have a local maxima to make the app really, to make driving really compliant or to make taking trips really easy or earnings clear and easy to understand. We have kind of a global maximum to make sure that all of it works together in a way that actually works for, for drivers and that comes in as a cohesive experience. Um, I'm not gonna name names, but like examples of this not working well at other companies would be like, I've heard stories of people badging random parts of their app to hit a KPI at the end of their quarter um, by driving engagement. 
Uh, we would say as a driver platform team, we wouldn't want to do that because it muddles what badging means in our app and we would sort of stop a team who wanted to do that from being able to implement that and things like that. Um, that's maybe a heavy handed example. More often it's working together to figure out what frameworks and what use cases um, need to exist to support the diversity of things that, that, are that teams are trying to do in the app. Um, so it's very collaborative. Uh, very user focused, but also has kind of a, a deep technical side in terms of making sure the app is really fast and doesn't crash, um, which is pretty core to what we do. Um, so that's just a little bit of what I do now. I'm gonna walk you through actually uh, my journey, um, but I think like to make it all kind of come together, uh, just why I think this is really cool and why I'm excited about working on the Uber driver app. Each day, um, drivers are spending a thousand years of time on our platform, which is a pretty amazing and inspiring number. Um, and what we get to do is improve their lives every day and have a really tremendous impact on uh, a global scale, which is quite fun. And when I think about a thousand years, like sometimes I like to imagine like what if we could go back and like push a bug fix for like the Leaning Tower of Pisa or something. But like sometimes that kind of stuff uh, just like really gets me a little bit excited. Um, so I've taken quite a roundabout uh, journey into product. I certainly didn't land there right out of school, um, but I'm really glad that I got here. Um, and I hope through my journey, you can kind of find some insights and encouragement to help guide you through your next chapter, whatever that might be. So I'm gonna walk you through some of these experiences. Uh, not gonna read this slide, but just kind of, this is what will guide us through the, the remainder of the presentation. Um, so this is actually my first product. I started in consulting on the East Coast. I didn't really like it very much. Sorry if there's any consultants out there. Um, but I did start a whiskey barrel furniture company with four of my friends. Um, and so we figured out the product. We sort of like came up with a prototype, figured out the manufacturing as best as we could. We sold about 10 of them uh, over the course of about six months. Actually like not a bad start. Um, and then kind of a, a couple life events and sort of some challenges we encountered. Uh, prevented us from going forward with it. But it was a beautiful product. I'm actually quite proud of it. We actually embedded LED lights on the inside of a, a whiskey barrel, took the top off of it and put glass on it and created nice photographic images like that. Um, but uh, eventually Apple came calling um, and I actually moved out to the West Coast specifically to be uh, a NAND flash procurement analyst. And this was back in 2013. Um, and I was there for about a year and four months. And uh, just like a quick aside that I think is an interesting story about this particular move was I actually bombed my first interview with Apple. I had built a really good rapport with uh, my recruiting person, but I really bombed the hiring manager interview um, and I knew I bombed it. It was one of those like 10 minutes in, they were like, any more, do you have any questions for me kind of interviews, like the worst kind of interview. Um, and I knew it and I, I kind of realized I was going to get a no to something that felt like a really exciting opportunity. I was 23 at the time and was very excited about the prospects of a get out of consulting free card. Uh, so I ended up calling my recruiter and just explaining that I knew I kind of bombed it, but I felt like I was right for the role and I wanted a second chance. And she actually gave me one. And the next interview was the person who hired me. Uh, so interesting sort of thought experiment of if I hadn't sort of made that phone call, what my life would have been like, it would have been quite different is kind of like the, the short answer. Um, but that's sort of the aside. Uh, I ended up in Campbell, California on the West Coast. Um, and I was working at Apple, as I mentioned, as an AND flash uh, memory analyst. Um, so the role was kind of a hybrid industry analyst and forecast manager. Um, and within six months, I was promoted to a, what's called a global supply manager. And if you don't know what NAND flash is, I don't, apologies, no, no, need, no, no need to apologize. I didn't either um, when I joined. 
Uh, it's like the storage space in your iPhone or Android, like the, in your iPhone, I should say, uh, the 16, 64, 128 gigabyte thing. We were purchasing that in large quantities um, with a few suppliers uh, that were made up the majority of the industry. Um, and so within six months, as I mentioned, I was promoted to a global supply manager negotiating these like big contracts with uh, some suppliers. Um, and so in 2014, uh, the iPhone ramp was actually particularly interesting if you were working in NAND flash. Um, this was the year that Apple decided to go from 16, 32, and 64, which maybe like is hard to believe that was kind of the, the sizes. They even had an eight gigabyte at that time. Um, and they wanted to scale that up to 16, 64, 128. And that was gonna require our suppliers to scale in a pretty intense way. Um, and it required a level of fidelity in our forecasting and kind of general supply management that our team wasn't really equipped to handle at the time. Um, and so my second product, I'm not gonna show you exactly what it was, I'd probably get sued out of the oblivion, into oblivion by Apple, but it was just a, a basic forecasting tool that basically took this complex problem in Excel, created a series of levers we could use to like create forecasts uh, given the constraints that we had, and then generate things that we could send to suppliers or communicate to executives. Um, and it was competing sort of head to head with something we were paying an external consulting team to do, um, and their solution just wasn't flexible enough to solve the complexity of our problem, mine was. Uh, so I was pretty excited about that. It really was a game changer and came at a quite, quite a timely manner for our team. Um, and I quickly had a full team of users, uh, which were my teammates who wanted to simulate a bunch of different things themselves and uh, just understand kind of the different conditions that would result from the inputs we had to, to kind of generate our supply forecast. Gnarly operational stuff, very far removed from like the things I do now. But uh, I, I think it was an interesting kind of lesson for me about the power of sort of an elegant solution to solve a complicated problem. I um, mean, something that I was quite proud of. And so uh, launch day 2014 was a real day I felt very proud of. I felt connected to the iPhone 6 launch and, and kind of the things that happened there. Um, and I really truly felt like my solution like contributed to a dramatically better outcome for customers um, because we were able to forecast correctly um, or what felt like more correctly than we would have otherwise. Um, but, uh, things change quickly out here, as many of you are probably aware. And uh, there was an opportunity to move to Uber via some LinkedIn uh, inquiries, and I was kind of faced with a pretty tough decision for myself. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about the decision, but also kind of what I did at Uber. I was the first kind of formally dedicated ops on Uberpool in San Francisco back in late 2014, early 2015, and I launched some successful kind of products that I'm, that I'm quite proud of that we'll talk about a little later. Um, and I think when it came to making the decision to move from Apple, which was a pretty sweet gig at the time and very much kind of a, a local maxima for myself, um, I think like the right heuristic that I kind of applied to it is like if you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, you don't ask what seat, you just get on. And um, I think I made kind of a lateral downward move to go from a global role at Uber to uh, at Apple to a local kind of San Francisco ops team at Uber. Um, I also added a whole bunch of time to my commute. Uh, <laughs> My Uber increased from, I don't actually pay for this, but it increased by $55 in a whole lot of minutes. Um, and you know, it was not an easy life decision to do this. And most people would probably think, given that I took a pay cut and kind of like went to this company that was like a little more nascent than Apple, like what was I doing? Um, but I think in retrospect for me, it was like the right move. Um, and I think I'll just kind of try to deconstruct why it was the right move. Um, the only way that PMs know how with slides and graphs. Um, and the basic kind of heuristic I would apply here is like, uh, there's at each company kind of a solutions to problems ratio, if that makes sense. And I think at Apple, 
uh, they had solved a ton of amazing problems and figured out how to build products that surprise and delight customers uh, in an amazing way. And there were still some problems to be solved there, but they weren't the foundational ones. You were building on top of giants. Uh, whereas at Uber, the goal was reliable transportation everywhere for everyone, but they were far, far less advanced in their solutions. There was far more broken. Uh, you'll see some of the broken things I got to work on. Um, and it was just a lot more opportunity for someone young in their career to really experience career growth. Um, and I sort of deduced that via the interview process and just looking ahead at my time at Apple and what I would become quite good at. And I think I was worried about becoming good at the wrong thing, if that makes sense, and finding that my options actually narrowed in a way that would make me uncomfortable later in my 20s. Um, and I had some friends who were a natural AB, and I think like, I think I made the right decision, but they're still doing okay. Um, and so my first assignment at Uber was actually to negotiate, design, and purchase this, uh, what is this, uh, shipping container that we, that we were gonna use for vehicle inspections. Um, so I was in Oakland negotiating with a shipping container producer uh, specifically to like build and deliver this thing. And I was just like, I've made a huge mistake. What am, what am I doing? Like this has nothing to do with, this isn't Apple, this isn't elegant. I'm like not really excited about it. Uh, but you know, at the same time it was scrappy and interesting and like I think represented sort of charting a new course. That was literally like my first week on the job. Um, and actually, I think SF was doing some really interesting things, like incubating Uberpool. Um, and I'm sure many of you are hopefully familiar with Uberpool if you live in the, in the Silicon Valley area. It's, it's quite popular here. Um, and you know, uh, it's basically just putting multiple people in the same Uber that are heading the same direction, um, saving them both money because you can pay the driver close to the same amount, um, and you can put multiple riders in the car. Um, and so. The mission is, was awesome. Uh, I felt very strongly that it was like part of the future of transportation and I was really excited about it. It also uh, worked really, really badly at the time and lacked a lot of basic functionality. It was basically like a burning building within a burning building. Um, but uh, to accelerate the product development, uh, we actually realized that we needed to like increase the liquidity of people using the product even though it wasn't in a good state. And so that was kind of the introduction to our $5 pool launch. If people were in San Francisco in early 2015. Uh, it was kind of anarchy when this happened, like $5 Ubers all the time in San Francisco. Lyfts were also quite cheap as well soon after us, um, which is fairly typical. Uh, it was pretty insane. And I was kind of the fully dedicated ops person on that project. Um, and I, I got to see us kind of, I got to participate in us making a big bet to accelerate uh, the product. Um, and so as I mentioned, I was the first dedicated pool ops. Because pool was so nascent at Uber, I was kind of a hybrid analyst, GM, and marketer, um, helping to develop a lot of the foundational uh, KPIs, marketing messages, uh, product experiments, and road mapping that we did, um, working very closely with our product manager, um, who I grew quite close with and is still a close friend. Um, and I helped take Uber pool from zero to one. Um, this, I think, if you're interested in product management or just general product strategy, is interesting. I mean, we were fairly big in San Francisco at the time, um, and our product could only do so much at once, so we had to de-risk things. So we actually knew walking could be a lever that was quite powerful, like the ability to move pins could make the experience a lot more efficient if we could allow riders to get to spots that were easier for pickups or um, kind of along corridors. So we sent this email uh, to some amount of riders, and I helped kind of conceptualize and run this, this experiment, um, basically asking them to go into this corridor. Um, and the results were fairly positive and actually 
I would go on to spend about a year of my time at Uber figuring out how to make walking actually work in production with, with a full user experience. Not going to go into that in detail here, but if you're interested in questions about it, we can chat about it in the Q&A. Um, but I think the lesson here is like we were super scrappy. We're sending emails to small groups of riders to try to understand like their basic willingness to do different things like walk or like wait, um, which now with things like Express Pool, if you've used that, are like building on a lot of these early experiments. Um, and so for me personally, I think like the way that I sort of uh, worked on Uberpool taught me how to add value to product development. Um, and specifically at that time, we didn't have a lot of data firepower who really understood what was going on with Uberpool. Uh, so I taught myself SQL with, with the help of a couple friends who were good at it. Um, and uh, within my first years of the company, I think both years, I was in like the top 0.1% of queries written at Uber, which is like not something you really want to be like doing that often, but it was necessary to sort of push the product forward. Um, and this was at a fairly data-driven company. So I was doing quite a bit of analytical uh, deep dives and really trying to understand core foundational uh, parts of the experience and then making recommendations to our product management team and starting to see like how I could influence a roadmap um, and, and really kind of add value. Um, and so eventually I moved into what's called a product ops role. I'm not going to read this slide word for word. This was just like cribbed from one of the decks that describes it. But the basic ethos of it is it works kind of side by side with a product manager to sort of like run a program. And um, at Uber, uh, there's a heavy operational component to everything we do. So product apps are kind of like the quarterback for like the operational side of a rollout or of kind of developing a product strategy that works, um, contemplating all of our operational constraints. Um, and so that was a role that I stepped into after about a year on, my, on the city team. It moved from a local focus to a global focus as Pool was scaling. Uh, Pool went from like three cities to 30 in like the two years I was there and I was a contributing member of that team. Um, but through that, I started to learn even more how to add value to like the engineering side of development or the design side of development. Um, and that was mostly because we just like shipped a lot of features. Um, and so just like one example of like some of the stuff I did, uh, this was a dashboard I created. I pulled it up recently and it's got this like massive kind of like deprecation, do not use language. And it just kind of struck me as like, I'm, I've left a mark on this program because like they had to like forcibly let people know, like don't use this thing that was once valuable, like it's no longer useful. So I think like just kind of a reminder that like this too shall pass and like, you know, seasons kind of change. Um, but it made me kind of proud nonetheless, because uh, if it didn't matter, they wouldn't have to do that. <laughs> um, and so as I mentioned, kind of Uberpool really taught me how to iterate and, and quickly and successfully ship products. So this is just a smattering of random headlines from different things that I was a, like contributing member to, or even in some cases helped lead uh, like our walking experience in New York. Um, I love the bottom right one. Uberpool service sounds like a bus. We always would end up our would end our product jams with like, wow, we're basically just like describing a bus. <laughs> but I think you know that was sort of a, a time at Uber where a lot of uh, execution velocity was pointed towards Uberpool. Uh, we had a weekly with senior executives, including our former CEO, and things like that that were really kind of formative for me in terms of understanding um, what it takes to ship products. So. After about two and a half years of that, um, I was ready for kind of a new challenge, and you'll see some of the things that prompted that um, in, the for, in the coming slides, but I basically joined to be a product manager on the driver app redesign, and we actually have recently uh, announced the driver app redesign uh, publicly, and it's rolling out right now, which is exciting. Um, so I think many of you are probably aware, perhaps this was the elephant in the room if, if there was one when y'all entered. 2017 for, was an incredibly hard year for Uber and everyone who worked there. 
Um, there was a whole bunch of headlines that were, you know, quite hard to read. Things that came to light that were like saddening for people like me and others who weren't a part of them, but understood they could have been going on, um, and or didn't even know. Um, and it was just really sad. Uh, it was really really hard. Um, and you know, we had some some headlines that I think all of y'all are familiar with: the lead Uber, uh, Travis resigning, uh, arguing with drivers, just nasty things that like really really cascaded in a wave, unlike almost anything I think most of us in tech had seen at that time. Facebook maybe touched it this year, but I still don't think it was quite close. Um, and I saw a lot of my amazingly talented friends move on, um, like basically close to the same time. And I was kind of questioning myself, like, should I also? I don't want to be associated with some of these things. Um, I don't want this like black mark on my resume or my character. Um, if you have enjoyed the episode so far, check out our upcoming live events at productschool.com slash events. Use the promo code PRODUCTPODCAST in all caps to get a free ticket to the next event in your city. But at the same time, uh, I realized that there was no shortage of problems that still needed to be solved for customers at Uber. Um, and there was actually less people that were there to actually do them. Um, and so for me, uh, it was a really interesting opportunity to double down and make the experience better in a way that I believed it needed to be. Um, and so in particular, uh, the opportunity to improve the driver experience was uh, quite interesting to me. Uh, it just had reached its limits of design and engineering architecture. I had some opinions about the direction I would love to see the experience go. Um, and you know, you can just see from these screenshots, like if you don't have a flexible UI to accommodate the different things, like you get a bunch of crap that just gets pasted on the map or a bunch of things like this ridiculous play music icon in the top left that are like BD deals gone awry. Um, and you're left with something that like doesn't actually work for, for a very important group of users who are our drivers around the world. Um, and so I had an opportunity to work with a, a close friend and mentor on the right named Yuki Yamashita, and he was willing to champion me to transition to product management. We had worked together a little bit on pool when he was on Rider. He had actually just completed the Rider app redesign, which was a, a quite impressive accomplishment, and was interested in moving over to the driver app. Um, and just to give you a sense of like the way Yuki operates, like I, I think I wanted to sort of like interject, like when you think about how crazy it is to actually like redesign something this complex and make it usable, um, I think it's just like I kind of cribbed this from a deck he put together early in his time on Driver, and I think just even looking at the way he approached this, we're not going to read this line by line, but he sort of was able to simplify the information architecture of the app in a way that sort of like added uh, order to this chaos, was able to deduce like the opportunities to really improve it. And this is before design, this is before design is even brought in. This is literally just like boxes on a spreadsheet. And then come up with like alternatives, like uh, alternative information architectures that just work better. And this is just like a snapshot of the way Yugi thinks. I got to work very close with him for a year and a half and like I'm far better off in life because of it. Um, but I think just when you're thinking about your future sort of projects that seem really crazy or audacious or just like incredibly gnarly, simplifying it in ways like this and then going a level deeper um, and then like really kind of fleshing out before design has even evolved, like how things could be organized in a way that's more coherent or driver friendly. Um, these are the types of like really critical design skills that I was only able to learn uh, through working with someone who was just really, really good and really talented at it. Um, and so I just wanted to like share that with you as a quick aside. Um, so my role in the driver app redesign, which was a massive project spanning like, I think something like 800 people end to end if we looked at everyone who was like influenced by it or working on it, um, was to sort of develop the global rollout strategy and build the in-app comms framework. 
um, communication with drivers is really critical and we needed to do it better. So that was kind of my like primary task. Um, and I would have a three to six month trial period before converting to PM. So there's no like magic, you're now a product manager moment. Like you really kind of have to earn it and work with a team and prove that you're like capable of having that level of responsibility. Um, so it was, it was a little bit intense. Um, but our design iterations uh, led to some really major improvements to our app that showed real promise. Um, so just a couple, if we look at the way we did things in our old app, earnings was all over the place and just kind of like, even though it was core to the driver experience, it was really hard to follow. And the new app, which has that iconic go button that you'll see later on in this uh, slide, in this deck, uh, we had a tracker that made it super obvious what you were doing and how you were tracking against it. And a lot of drivers track towards goals, so this was like a critical uh, feature for them. Um, we had this crazy feed that like popped up from the bottom of the map in the old app that like had a bunch of random content without order um, and all kinds of different image assets thrown all about. Uh, we simplified that and this was one of the things that I really went deep on and created a very predictable inbox. Um, super clean. Uh, the magic was kind of in the back end and the content strategy, but it came together quite nicely and it's performing really well from an engagement perspective. Um, and that was sort of my, my primary project. Um, we also sort of created uh, we have this problem of people not knowing what to do next when they're driving or where to go next. There's too many options. We simplified it with a single recommendation which surfaces to drivers to let them know um, when they're nearby something they should really be aware of. Um, and I love that kind of really nice animation and kind of feeling that we're like warmly instructing you on where to go next. Um, and then another thing my team went super deep on is uh, just the experience in the different network conditions that drivers use our app. Um, and so it's super painful when drivers try to begin or end a trip without network or in low network conditions and just get these spinners that prevent them from doing what's, what they need to do next. It creates awkward rider interactions. It's just really painful. Um, and so we created uh, what we call the optimistic client, but basically the ability to progress forward through our core tasks without network and have the app sort of, when possible, prefetch or give you something that uh, can allow you to progress forward without network and then catch up in the background. Um, really massive engineering effort. Drivers uh, really like appreciate it. it. made the app feel much more performant in low network conditions, which is where the majority of our drivers are. And then at the end of all of that, these changes were so significant to the experience. Uh, we sort of felt like collectively as a product leadership team that a beta was the right way to like really understand the impact of these, of these improvements and also further refine them. Um, and so we went with the beta to test the core flows, to get driver feedback, and also to build trust with a core group of drivers in order to uh, have them advocate for this at, at our global launch. This app is used by drivers in a way almost no other apps in the world are used in terms of engagement and reliability. It's thought of more as like an operating system than like a single app to a lot of drivers. Um, very few apps are used eight, nine, 10 hours a day in some cases. Um, and these, this app is for employment reasons, to keep people kind of earning a living. So it's something that we wanted to include them in very early on in the process. Um, and it was better for us and better for drivers ultimately. So we launched a beta in seven cities uh, to 470 uh, couriers and drivers. Um, and it was a really, really amazing experience for everyone who was involved. Again, this is sort of happening in the aftermath of all of the negativity and chaos of, of early 2017. And a team really came together to do something really special. And I think the photos and kind of what transpired after this hopefully will sort of give you a taste of some of that. Um, and so we launched in LA first. So we also designed some posters for the occasion. Iconic go button given prominent position. Um, we launched in LA, Sao Paulo, Bangalore, Jakarta, 
Cairo, London, and Melbourne. And this is our only picture from Melbourne. I'm told it went really well, but this doesn't totally reflect that. Um, but basically, each of these launches were bringing drivers in, uh, warmly introducing them to the new app experience, um, explaining to them what worked and what didn't, um, and what wasn't quite working yet, and giving them the opportunity to have feedback channels that they could use to provide us with uh, direct and contextual feedback on uh, the experience. And for the LA launch, we actually brought a lot of our builders and people who had been building the app down. Um, we flew them all down specifically to introduce the app to drivers. It was very motivating for the team um, and very sort of uh, like a, a special memory I think a lot of people will have. You can see me kind of in the middle there with the thumb up, I think, yeah, kind of lean. Um, but I think like the reason we did that was because uh, the morale of the team was incredibly important to the project. And on the driver app, it's really hard to make it feel real because we just can't use the app the way that uh, drivers do. We can't drive eight, nine, ten hours a day and experience it with the depth that, that drivers do. So we need drivers to, to really help us do that. And we need the team building the app to feel sort of the impact of the fixes they're making, even if they can't see them the next time they open their newsfeed or something like that. Um, and so this is just a couple of photographs from the event. We had a waiting line, which was awesome. We introduced drivers on iOS and Android to the new driver app. Awesome mingling of Uber employees and Uber drivers. Um, we had a little keynote which explained to them how things worked and what they need to know about it. They were very pumped. It felt like a real moment of connection and growth. Um, and eventually we launched the beta, which we called Building Together. Um, and what Building Together was really about was uh, dialogues, not monologues. Um, we were small enough where we could really build relationships with the drivers. This is a WhatsApp group on the right. We would have one-to-one -one conversations with a lot of the drivers in all over the world, specifically to understand uh, how they were experiencing it. We helped them debug in real time. Um, we would pull engineers in. It really accelerated our, our improvements. Um, and then this is another important moment. Uh, lunches, not launches. Um, and what we mean by that is we didn't just push this to the world and figure out what was wrong by like inflicting a bunch of pain on a large group of people, uh, we like sat down with drivers and listened to their experiences over lunch and really connected on that level. Um, it sounds basic, but it's a pretty important shift for us from an approach perspective that uh, really, really, I think, helped further our development. Um, and when you think about your products in the future, finding creative ways to uh, get feedback from users uh, is like, that doesn't require shipping it to them and, and finding out there's a bug when it's already at 50%. Um, is really, really important. Um, and something that I think really benefited this project. And we finally, we closed the loop. So it wasn't, as I mentioned, it was a dialogue. So we let them know when we fixed things. We sent them release notes and told them kind of what to be aware of in the next release to further focus their attention and make sure we were getting feedback on the improvements that we were making and that they were aware of the things that we hadn't fixed yet. Um, and so this is just a quick example of some of the early things we found. It's a little bit Uber specific, so I'll try to not be too dense, but they really loved this feature called estimated time to request, which was just pretty basic. It was literally just like telling them three minutes to the next request, um, but it was something we hadn't done in the past, and it gave them sort of like the equivalent of what you as a rider would have with an ETA, except for your next request, which is something that eased a lot of their anxiety around, am I online, when am I gonna get my next dispatch? Um, and actually, oh, skipping ahead a little bit, we launched a, uh, a Google Plus group so we had an internal employee forum and we were posting sort of user research insights like this from around the world so that everyone could kind of subscribe to some of the things that were happening in real time. Um, it was a Google Plus group. I'm sure it was one of the most engaged with Google Plus groups out there. Um, Off-trip navigation was another thing they really liked. So we gave them the ability to tap on something on the map between trips 
and navigate to it. Again, sounds basic, but a functionality that was actually quite hard to do in the old app, given sort of the information architecture of the map. Um, they really liked that. Um, and then just generally, they told us that the designs were simpler and cleaner, which was one of the main goals of the redesign, to simplify and to clarify. So that was uh, quite, quite positive feedback. And then they told us some things they wanted. Um, they wanted to be able to, this is like very specific, it was like a feature they immediately realized was missing, um, and that feature got fi very, fixed very quickly, like the ability to, quest, to track their quests, which are some of their incentives. Um, and that was something that like, this was from our driver forum. They, they posted it. Uh, you can kind of read the text if you want, but the gist of it is uh, it isn't calculating and they couldn't find it correctly. Um, we fixed that very quickly and had like a nice dialogue in, our, in one of our forums. Um, they wanted uh, better in-app support. So that was just something that we weren't able to ship in the first version of, of the app. We fixed that in future versions and we're quite proud of the support experience we have in the new app. Um, and then very basic, but also a great reminder, they wanted an error-free trip flow. Our trip flow is incredibly uh, important to the app, like mistakes made in that result in tickets and bad customer experiences. Um, and so we needed that to be bulletproof and uh, every bit of feedback they provided in that space really motivated that team to fix those issues. And we were aggregating and synthesizing, aggregating and synthesizing to make sure that uh, teams were aware of the problems with the app. And then as I kind of alluded to already, we really focused on making it real because we wanted the team to do their best work. And this isn't an app that they can necessarily feel the improvements of right away because they're not always using it, um, although we did do a lot of driving. Um, we took Dara uh, driving. I actually produced this video. It was three minutes. We actually launched it when we announced the app to drivers. Um, Dara went out for a, a like, test run of the new app, picked up a few other executives along the way, um, engaged in a very authentic way. We didn't tell him exactly where he was going. He had to like, use the app to navigate, and he gave us really good feedback. That was also really important because it's hard for Dara. Dara can't really go out and pick up riders. It would be a massive kind of risk on a bunch of levels. Um, but we wanted him to understand like the experience that we were creating and sort of keep that in mind for future decisions he might have to make that would impact the driver experience. So very important. Um, as I mentioned, we had an internal social forum, which had, I think that had 680 members at that time. Um, and it was on Google Plus, and we were posting on it all the time, commenting, tagging. Um, all of the social things that you probably use at your companies to drive uh, just engagement and action for different problems that arise. Um, and then we also had high quality video content and kind of all hands, which I helped to, to organize, you'll see a picture later, um, specifically to connect people to the experience um, and to connect our engineering team to what they were building, what the core problems were, and what the positive impact of what they had built was. Um, and so we, we actually are gonna be releasing some of that content, I believe, um, sometime soon. So this is just a quick picture from our launch event. You can see I'm actually wearing the same shirt. I guess this is my speaking shirt. Um, this was just like an example of, uh, I'm walking through a timeline similar to today actually. I use the same tactics. Um, and we have our full team here kind of really excited about the launch. Um, and we also, this was something that I got tasked with. We figured out how to create a real life go button with a BOSU ball and some Arduino wire. I pulled a couple engineers in, we like had a couple late nights, and we actually were able to push a go button to launch the app. This was our release manager who, you work with release managers, so appreciate this, who pushed the button to actually release the app, um, which is pretty fun. Um, and then finally, not long after the quiet release, we had a public release. This is the rideshare guy who's a very notable figure in the uh, space, in the driver experience space. Talking with Dara, our CEO, we had a launch event in LA. Um, I actually took this photograph. I mentioned I like photography and it was just a really cool experience. Um, and so just kind of wanted to close with a few parting thoughts and then I'll, we'll open up for Q&A. Um, 
I think, you know, if I had to reflect on a few things and distill it to this, it would be your first product might not actually require any engineering. For me, it was just like random things that got thrown together, but had a, like taught me the joy of creation and really connected me with like the impact you can make when you're actually creating something and pushing it into the world, even if it fails. Um, and, you know, when I was interviewing for Apple, I think my barrel company came up almost as much as my consulting experience because it was on my resume and it was interesting. So like failure and things that are failing can also kind of be features in your broader portfolio if you position them correctly. Um, and I think find ways to add value to your company's product development, even if you aren't a product manager. For me, that was like the only way that I was able to, to kind of get into it was because there was more work than people and I was helping to support the broader mission of my product because I really cared about it. Um, and people saw that and were willing to vouch for me. Um, and then just build a network that's willing to go to bat for you. Um, it's really good to connect with people. I hope I can connect with some of you and I hope we all can connect with each other. But the best type of connection is doing really good work for people who uh, can eventually help you later in their career and really building that rapport day after day. Because a lot of those people will probably be the ones who really um, open a door for you later in life if they truly see your, uh, your worth vouching for it. Um, so just kind of food for thought. Um, and then that's all I got. I included one more picture. I mentioned we were recently in Sao Paulo. This was a mobile device lab. Uh, we stood up with our team. I, I also took this photograph. We actually rented a minivan. It had to be bulletproof because Sao Paulo is actually quite dangerous. And we had eight phones at once uh, driving around the city, um, just testing our app in, in different conditions on different devices that drivers use. Um, so I, I like this photo because it shows kind of the level of operational and engineering uh, ingenuity will go to to make sure that our app works uh, for drivers all over the world. Um, so that was just kind of a cool experience. I thought it was a nice anecdote to close with. Um, so thank you. That's all I, that's all I prepared. Um, happy to open it up for questions, comments, uh, anything else y'all have for me. Thanks for listening to the Product Podcast. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to know more about our courses and next courts, visit productschool.com. Stay tuned for the next episode to learn more about the secrets in product management.